Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525. Stupidity in education. Yes, that'll be our theme today. Uh, it starts in high school. That's what we're going to start in high school anyway. Uh, how would you feel if your kids or grandkids were being taught by your friends at PBS? And we're not talking about uh, Sesame Street here or even uh, Mr. Rogers. We're talking about high school kids, teenagers being taught about, are you ready? The Black Panthers with lots of apologies in this uh, little presentation and very little mention of those uh, murdered cops. That's just one of the lessons that you pay for with your tax dollars, whether they're being taught at your kid's school or your local school, whatever, or not. uh, Your tax dollars are paying for it because your tax dollars pay for PBS. And PBS is about a lot more than those shows on WQED that you wouldn't dream of watching. Those shows just don't disappear after they've been shown to the ridiculously small audiences that tune in to PBS. They become part of a school's curriculum. That's bad. Uh, I mean, you know, they run the show and it's on on the air for an hour and disappears. If your kids don't see it, then they didn't see it. But and it's just out there in the atmosphere somewhere. Well, uh, this is this is not what happens here. It's uh, it's being taught by uh, the kiddies. It's being part taught as part of the school curriculum, you'll be surprised to hear, or maybe you won't, uh, what's being taught to the kiddies about suicide bombers and Hamas. And we're going to talk to Daniel Greenfield. He's an investigative reporter for FrontPageMag.com. He wrote about this today, some pretty interesting and scary stuff in there. And then we'll talk about some college stupidity. Uh, We've been telling you about the wonderful people at Harvard and actually Yale, too, but this is mostly about Harvard. Uh, decided to outlaw fraternities and sororities because they're, you know, fraternities and sororities, which means that only one gender is allowed to join. It's been okay for about 150 years, but apparently not anymore, at least at Harvard and a lot of other schools. And at Harvard, they told people who joined a fraternity or a sorority that they wouldn't be eligible anymore for scholarships, fellowships, that kind of stuff, and wouldn't be allowed to be a captain on any sports team if they were a member of a fraternity or a sorority. Uh, some fraternities sued, and a judge ruled in their favor the other day. We'll talk to someone from FIRE, that's the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, about what the ruling means and how many other fraternities and sororities are facing similar stupidity and how this ruling might help them. But we're going to start with high school stupidity in education when we come back. Stick around. Up in the morning and out to school. The teacher is teaching the golden rule American history and practical man You study him hard and hoping to pan They blow into town with the wind, rain, and hail. And out-of-town storm chasers going door-to-door, often posing as a local company, offering a quick fix to desperate homeowners. If you've had damage to your roof, windows, siding, or gutters and downspouts, you may be eligible to get them replaced or repaired free of charge. Just be careful who you call. Visit WindowsRUsPittsburgh.com for a free inspection from one of their highly trained appraisers. With over 50 years in home remodeling, Windows R Us is the area's premier exterior replacement company for roofs, siding, gutters and downspouts, doors, and, of course, windows. If damage isn't your issue and you just want something new, you'll love their no-pressure approach, no hidden fees, and one of the fastest turnaround times in the industry. A company who will never skip town when it comes to honoring their warranty. Visit WindowsRUsPittsburgh.com. Mention STAG for an additional 10% off. Windows R Us, proud sponsor of the Jerk of the Week, heard every Friday on the John Steigerwald Show. WindowsRUsPittsburgh.com. 
Miracle League of Moons, Mike McGulick joins us. Mike, how's the new field house coming? The building permit was issued. We have the majority of the earthwork done, and they should be pouring foundation pads in the restrooms over the next week or two. Those restrooms are really going to make a big difference for athletes and special needs, aren't they? The ability to be able to use a restroom has always been difficult. You see how little space there is or little accommodations are made for individuals with disabilities, but it's something that we can make a little bit easier for everybody. From the field house to the ball field to the playground, it's really going to be state-of-the-art. It'll be updated with ramping systems and different things so that individuals that have problems with their mobility will be able to get to the same spots that everyone else that easily can get to. And every dollar you give goes directly to the project. Our board is funding all the administrative costs, so any donation from anyone goes directly to the construction of the field. Let's make miracles happen. Give today at miraclesinmoon.org slash donate. Sponsored by Robinson Town Center, a Zamias Properties entity. Do you or your business have financial problems? Are you overwhelmed with debt? Then call me, Attorney Dennis Spire at 412-471-7675. My legal practice concentrates on bankruptcy law, debtor rights, and tax matters. I have over 30 years experience as a former United States Department of Justice bankruptcy attorney and lawyer in private practice. I have represented thousands of cases faced with financial problems and lawsuits. Reorganize and get a fresh start. Call 412-471-7675 or visit my website at DennisSpira.com. Obamacare, Trump Care, ACA, COBRA, there are so many choices, but all seem to bring one word to mind, expensive. There are lots of changes happening in healthcare today. Fortunately, I know someone that has been on the forefront of health insurance for years, Todd Marley at Marley Financial. Todd and his team of professionals are licensed with virtually every healthcare provider in the country. They help determine which plan is right for you and then expertly help you choose the best plan for your needs and then do so prudently. Don't need maternity coverage? Call Marley Financial. Have pre-existing conditions? Call Marley Financial. Want just catastrophic or just accident? You know the answer. Worried about the penalty? All of Marley Financial plans are penalty exempt because they know how to design the plans. Most of their clients save 30 to 60%, which can add up to several thousand dollars a year. Call Todd at Marley Financial, 724-884-1496. That's 724-884-1496 on the web at MarleyFG.com. What is us? Us is a foundation. Us is the future. Us is a bond. But right now, that bond is frayed. And we need a place that could make it whole. From diabetes prevention to safety around water. The Y fills the gaps. And bridges our divide. But they can't do it without us. Support your local Y today. Because where there's a Y, there's an us. Read by members of the Y. The Y for a better us. Pain or no pain, your wisdom teeth should be checked every year. Some wisdom teeth can become impacted by never breaking through the gum, which can lead to cysts, tooth decay, and gum disease. Find a surgeon near you for a complete examination at myoms.org. This is the John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250, The Answer. Last week, we talked about the New York Times 1619 Project. It's going to be an ongoing attempt to change the perception of the founding of the United States by making the case that everything began with the arrival of the first slave ships back in 1619. We pointed out that it's not just about people dumb enough to read the New York Times, but that the project includes making the material available as a curriculum for schools. Maybe you've heard of PBS Learning Media. It could be in a school near you. Uh, Daniel Greenfield, a, a showman journalism fellow at the Freedom Center, Wrote about it for FrontPageMag.com, and he joins us now. Daniel, thanks for being here. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me on. So what is uh, PBS Learning Media? It doesn't sound good. Well, so the idea of PBS is you want to watch PBS, fine. You don't want to watch PBS, you don't have to. PBS Learning Media, its mission is to take um, PBS content, the same documentaries you might be ignoring, um, and put it right into the classroom where your son or daughter can't ignore it. Um, their goal is to turn PBS materials into the curriculum. And uh, how widespread is it? I mean, how many schools are using this stuff? Uh, it varies from state to state, uh, but they do claim to have millions. Wow. I don't think a lot of people are aware of that. Uh, were you aware of it before you did this story? I was not. There's so many wrinkles um, in the nonprofit sector, and especially with education, that most people really have no idea is even going on. And uh, do you think that 
I guess it might depend on which state this is happening in, a red one or a blue one maybe. Maybe it's not that simple, but uh, people would be a little bit upset to hear about this in many places, not knowing that it's going on. I think they would, particularly some parts of the curriculum which are supportive of domestic and international terrorists. Um, that's left-wing terrorists in the United States, groups like the Weathermen or the Black Panthers, um, and Islamic terrorists abroad. Yeah, so what has uh, PBS Learning Media been teaching the kiddies about the Black Panthers, for example? So it treats the Black Panthers as heroes, and we're talking about a violent, racist hate group that was responsible for the murders, not just of white people, but of black people. Um, PBS's curriculum insists that the Black Panthers were victims, that they were mostly nonviolent except in self-defense. Um, except in occasional confrontations with police, it doesn't mention the fact that, again, uh, they killed plenty of people who were not police officers. And for that matter, it pretty much uh, says that anything bad about them was the result of some sort of law enforcement conspiracy. And um, is, this, is this done in the form of a video or books or both? And, and uh, I mean, how, how long have you seen any of these presentations? So it's online content. Um, they do have printed materials. They have videos. So what they do is, for example, you have the Black Panther documentary, which is called Black Panther's Vanguard of the Revolution. So we'll do, they will take some clips from the documentary um, and suggest that the teachers actually play that in the classroom. They also have specific questions to actually ask students. And one of those questions is... Um, how do you see uh, applying the work of the Black Panther Party to activism today? And there's even the hashtag encourage students to actually share the stuff on Twitter. A lot of education now is online, and that's what uh, PBS Learning Media is taking advantage of. Yeah, so uh, it used to be you had to bring in a, a, a camera, I mean a, a projector or a videotape machine and set it up. Now all the kids have their... Um, iPads, and they just uh, click on and everybody's watching it, right? Or they put it up on the big screen in front of the class. That's exactly the idea. And even worse than the actual documentary, which is pretty straightforwardly made with the cooperation and the work of Black Panther sympathizers and Black Panther members, um, is the fact that they're really encouraging students to think about how to model this kind of behavior. Now, well, how do they do that? So when they're asking students to apply the work of the Black Panther Party to activism today, and there's even a Do Now Panthers hashtag, they're basically telling them, uh, figure out how you too can imitate the Black Panthers. And that's like telling students, uh, figure out how you can imitate the KKK today or the Nazi Party. You'd, you would think, and this is the first time I'm hearing about this too, and, and um, I, I don't mean to ask you questions that uh, are unfair questions, because um, uh, maybe it's not possible to know all this, but... I would think that there'd be some teachers who would, wouldn't there be, you know, I'm trying to picture a, a teacher looking at this and saying, wait a minute, you really want me to teach these kids about, the, you know, and make them think that the Black Panthers are a pretty good group? I mean, who, wh yeah, wh how do they get it through past the teachers? Well, I'm pretty sure some teachers would be uncomfortable with this, but some teachers would actually have the kind of politics where they go out and they look for this kind of material and they actually seek to bring it out into the classroom which is really the destructive part. In many cases, it's the administrators that aren't paying much attention, teachers, that, uh, parents, sorry, that aren't paying much attention, and that's how the stuff makes it into the classroom. Because once a school actually gets on board with the PBS learning uh, media curriculum, uh, then the, in, the individual materials that they're using are not necessarily scrutinized because it's PBS, and PBS is a famous brand, and when people think PBS, they think Sesame Street. They don't yep. think uh, Black Panthers. Yeah, and I was just going to say that. The, the, when you think PBS, you think, oh, isn't that wonderful? They're so good with the kids and Mr. Rogers and Sesame Street. And this is a little bit uh, more um, scary than that. Yeah, it is. It's how they sneak in the really nasty, ugly, um, and frankly, through stuff. And um, what's, what recourse might parents have if they find out about this? You know, they're listening to it today on the radio, and they, they call up their school and they say, Hey, uh, just checking here. Do you? Are, we, are, are my kids being taught this uh, from the PBS stuff? Uh, what, what recourse would they have besides, you know, un, un, unelecting the school board? So the first line of defense is just in general to scrutinize um, what your children are learning, what your grandchildren are learning, and to stay engaged and involved in their education. Um, in some cases, parents don't do that because uh, this is just one example. There are more examples in the article that I wrote. Uh, but there's a plethora of really bad, toxic stuff that's coming into the system, and 
PBS running media is one vector. There are a whole lot of other vectors. So you have to uh, stay educated, stay alert, scrutinize the material, actually go through to whatever extent you can yourself. And certainly when there's something suspect, when they're covering material like terrorist or radical groups, definitely look it over and then actually uh, get in touch with other parents, um, coordinate coordinated and then actually take that to the board and take that to the administration. Yeah, I was. I mentioned in the intro to you that uh, we talked about here last week about the sixteen nineteen project from the New York Times, and uh, that I wasn't aware that that was going on either. That the New York Times was providing curricula for high schools. Uh, I mean, what other newspapers are doing? Are there, are there any conservative uh, networks or or uh, publications that are uh, get the same access? Um, not publications. There are conservative groups that have actually been working to shape curriculum, but it's a back and forth. It's a tug of war. And again, the really determining factors to what extent parents are actually engaged in their children's education, because parents do have the ability to influence it a great deal. Um, the left has very well funded uh, their nonprofits. In many cases, get government taxpayer uh, funding. Uh, PBS obviously is a very classic example. And so they're able to do things that conservatives have much more trouble doing. Uh, that's why, obviously, you need to um, support it as much as possible. And you point out in your piece, uh, and uh, we're talking to Daniel Greenfield. A uh, He wrote this piece. He's an investigative journalist for FrontPageMag.com. You point out in your piece that the executives at PBS, which I don't think will surprise anybody, are well paid with our money, whether we want to pay them or not. So of course, they're paid a fortune. Um, their CEO is making over a million dollars a year. But again, when, that, when President Trump and anybody in Congress talks about cutting funding to BBS, they start saying, well, you actually hate Big Bird. You want to kill Big Bird. Right. In practical reality, um, PBS is actually providing so little money to Sesame Street that they took first-run episodes to HBO. So it's, the money is not going for Big Bird. It's not going to Sesame Street. It's going to things like this. Um, and it's also going to the salaries of the leadership. Yeah, and I don't know um, how, how aware people are of the minuscule ratings that PBS stations get. Here in Pittsburgh, there was a story several years ago. They, the, uh, the Pittsburgh Symphony was going over to uh, Rome to perform for the Pope. And um, the, the local station sent, like, I don't know, 15 people over to to Rome to, to, to shoot this and cover it and put it on the air. And um, and I, I was working in local TV at the time, and we had, this was this was 15 years ago maybe, we had already gotten to the point where we, we just never traveled because they didn't have it in the budget. Very rarely did they send anybody on a trip. And if they did, it would be one reporter and maybe one uh, photographer, camera person. And here was the local station sending like huge numbers of people over to uh, Rome for a long time, for like a week or so, an unbelievable expense. And I looked at the ratings, and they didn't; they barely got a hash mark. I mean, nobody watched this thing. But you know, everybody. Uh, how many people in Pittsburgh knew when they heard about this that they had paid for all those people to go over there with their tax dollars? That goes on everywhere, yeah. right? Yeah, most people don't know. They don't know what PBS budgets actually look like. And yes, their ratings are minuscule, which is, of course, why they have to explore other options. Not enough people are actually going to watch their documentaries. They're going to make sure they're captive audiences because kids in the classroom have absolutely no choice. Yeah, and um, you also talked about uh, a, a, a presentation called Dying to Be a Martyr. Can you tell us what that's all about? So this was a program from uh, four or five years ago. Um, and normally, when you have a program like that, it's old, um, there's not going to be much interest in it, but what they're figuring out how to do is recycle into curriculum. And Dying to be a Martyr was uh, about Islamic suicide bombers who actually blow themselves up killing people. Um, the particular one that's been uh, embedded as a curriculum focused on Israel, though the overall uh, episode had different kinds of Islamic terrorists. Anyway, again, um, they're justifying the terrorists. They're asking the students to think like the terrorists do, um, to adopt their mindset, to understand their grievances. Uh, so, for example, there's a question in there um, where they have an interview with a failed suicide bomber, and the students are actually encouraged to ask, why is he upset? What could possibly make him want to do this? And, I mean, that's identifying with the terrorists. It's the same problem with the Black Panthers. They're teaching um, students in classrooms to actually think like our enemies. 
Yeah, and the uh, as you point out in your piece, the, the, as part of this uh, service, if that's what you want to call it, that PBS uh, provides, teachers are encouraged to play this video of Mohammed Abu Tayun, um, who, as you mentioned, is a failed suicide bomber, and then they are given questions that they should ask the students. And this, and if, based on the questions that you have in your piece here, they're, they're leading questions. And, and they're very sympathetic to the, the suicide bomber. Yeah, the goal is to get the students to actually identify with the suicide bomber. It's uh, saying, for example, summarize the reasons Mohammed gave for deciding to conduct a martyr operation. By the way, using martyr operation for suicide bomber is the language of Islamic terrorists. It's not what we call it. Uh, they call it martyr operations. We call it suicide bombing. PBS is using their language. Unbelievable. And, and you know, I'm guessing... This is my, I know it's a crazy idea, but if this is being used in public schools, pretty good chance there are some Jewish kids in there. And how many of the kids, those kids' parents know about this? It's a problem. It's been a problem that's come up quite a bit in Boston, for example, where um, Jewish students are being exposed to pro-terrorist materials. Um, it's a problem I know in Florida, but Florida has been pushing back against the PBS learning media curriculum. They are or they aren't pushing back? They are. So uh -oh. um, okay. the state budget actually cuts funding for PBS learning media because a lot of this is also local, which means state budgets can actually get rid of it. But again, a lot of people don't know. And again, the PBS is, uh, is public broadcasting and it's a, it's a, it's a, a government entity. Um, so the, gov so the government is pushing pro-terrorist material onto students. It unfortunately is. And actually what's, what the Corporation for Public Broadcasting has done is insulate itself from um, really democratic elections by actually having a two-year advance appropriation, which means um, instead of actually the people we elected coming in and actually have, being able to do something about PBS's budget, uh, they've got a two-year advance appropriation. And this time around, they're asking for almost $500 million, uh, in their two-year advance appropriation for 2020. $500 million for for just this part of it? Um, for their operations. In no, for, the, all, for the whole thing. Yeah, that's, well, that's a half a billion dollars. But uh, where's the, where's the uh, interest uh, from Republicans, conservatives in government to put a stop to this? How, how's it getting by them? So nationally, Republicans in Congress generally don't want to touch PBS because, of course, they get the Sesame Street stuff. Yeah. Locally, some conservatives, some Republicans have been taking it on, particularly when it comes to the curriculum. Uh, but there needs to be a larger national approach to this instead of just um, expecting individual parents, expecting individual conservatives in different areas uh, to do it all themselves. So um, it might be a good idea for... People who are listening now, if they have kids or grandkids in school, would it, maybe just a phone call to the school and ask, just checking, uh, are, are my kids being subjected to PBS learning media? Would, would that be a good start? That's definitely a good start, um, particularly point out some of the more controversial problems with them, like the Black Panthers, like the Martyr, um, because a lot of PBS material will seem innocuous, so schools won't understand what the problem is unless you actually point out there's really some very dangerous content there. Now, I wonder what uh, what um, part of the curriculum that these, uh, like this, this, the um, Dying to be a Martyr, which, which subject would I be sitting in when I was presented with that video? Well, which, which so, I mean, this, is, uh, this is history, it's policy. This call is now being recorded. Pardon me? Oh, we think we lost them. Did we lose? We lost. Oh, David, are, we, are you still there? I heard somebody pop in there, a voice pop in there. Can you hear me? Okay, uh, I'm sorry, we lost uh, Daniel Greenfield, but um, uh, we appreciate him We appreciate him being here. I, I uh, So we're, we're out of time anyway, but... Uh, you might want to give your school, uh, your local school a call or the school where your kids or grandkids go and just ask to speak to someone and ask them if, uh, if they are utilizing the wonderful PBS learning media program that's provided. Uh, and uh, if they are, you might want to ask them if they're showing videos about the Black Panthers and Hamas because it's kind of scary to me that it's out there and I just don't think that many parents uh, really know it exists. Pretty, pretty, uh, pretty nauseating, actually. We'll be right back.
With SRN News, I'm Keith Peters in Washington. Missouri's new law to restrict abortions is partially blocked in court. With the law set to take effect tomorrow, the partial injunction is a legal setback for the pro-life legislation. U.S. District Judge Howard Sachs put a pause on the law's restrictions on abortions at or after eight weeks of pregnancy, while other legal challenges to pre-viability arguments play out in court, which could take months. The judge left intact restrictions on pregnancies between 14 and 20 weeks and for situations involving the race or sex of the preborn, as well as for potential Down syndrome diagnoses. A spokesman for the Missouri Attorney General who has a special needs child says that they're glad the provisions relating to that issue were left in place. George Manzani reporting. On Wall Street, the Dow down by 121 points to 25,777. The Nasdaq dropped 27, the S&P lower by 9. This is SRN News. The following is not an actor, but a real-life story from Trinity Debt Management. I was finishing undergrad and got credit cards because I couldn't work full-time. So that started the credit card journey for me. If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-990-6976. And then when I got married, we combined our credit card debt, and it became impossible to pay off on our own. At that point, I was like, I don't know where to turn. And then I found Trinity. Trinity will consolidate your accounts into one easy-to-manage monthly payment, reduce your interest, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands. I initially was scared to call, and immediately I felt relief. I mean, in a matter of three years, we've already paid down $20,000 in credit card debt, which is huge. Call Trinity at 1-800-990-6976. That's 1-800-990-6976. Dr. Sebastian Gorka gives a huge example of the difference between the right and the left. Do we do that on the right? Do we actually say that we're going to kill a comedian because we disagree with their stance politically? It's not even a political stance, is it? He's just making a, a jokey video, and it involves the Clintons, and therefore he must receive death threats. America First with Dr. Sebastian Gorka. Afternoons at 3, right before John Steigerwald at 5 on AM 1250. The answer. Community Bank. City Mission. Number One Cochrane. Highmark Stadium. Peters Township Community Center. Angelo's Restaurant. What do all these businesses have in common? Nello Construction. Design and build with one company. Nello Construction. Full service construction from the ground up. Renovation. Expansion. Nello Construction. The choice for business. See the projects. Begin the journey at NelloConstruction.com. If you're worried about market volatility or the possibility of losing money in the next market crash, the time to act is now. Effective financial management involves identifying opportunities. And with a 10-year bull market run, markets around all-time highs, and a highly contested election cycle right around the corner, we have an opportunity now to protect what's important. Don't risk losing a significant portion of your life savings in the next market downturn. Call Hunt & Associates today. 844-366-HUNT. That's 844-366-4868. This is Chris Abernethy of Abernethy and Hagerman. You don't want the government deciding what happens to your estate or how much they will take. At Abernethy and Hagerman, estate administration is the heart and soul of our practice. We have the experience to help not only plan, but administer your estate properly to protect your assets, minimize taxes, and ensure that your inheritance gets to the ones you love. Decide for yourself. Abernethy and Hagerman. Legal help that lasts a lifetime. Visit a-h.law. Homeowners love their Pella windows and doors, and we love how happy we made Susan from Sewickley. I just have to tell you, this bay window is absolutely beautiful. I mean, it's fantastic. It really is beautiful. I mean, beautiful. Can we install some happiness for you? Right now, get 50% off installation or 18 months, no payments, no interest. Call for your free consultation. We'll come to you. 888-78-PELLA, PellaPittsburgh.com. Stuck in traffic? We've got the answer. Now, lots of volume delays on pretty much all the major highways were especially stacked up in the Parkway East, outbound Boulevard of the Allies to Edgewood, Swissvale. On the inbound side, not too terrible there, but Parkway West, that's looking busy inbound. Green Tree Road to the Fort Pitt Tunnel. Parkway North, heavy outbound from Hazlitt Street to Venture Street. Also from the Mount Nebo Road overpass up to 79. On 79, northbound delays from the Parkway North to 910. That's a look at traffic. I'm Jenny Robinson. AM 1250, the answer, weather. 
Mostly cloudy and muggy tonight with a couple of showers and in some spots a heavier thunderstorm, low 65. Tomorrow, a morning shower in the area, especially east of the city. And clouds will give way to some sunshine, 78. Mainly clear, cooler and more comfortable tomorrow night, 54. A nice day Thursday, mostly sunny, not too humid, high 76 degrees. With Iraqi weather forecast, I'm meteorologist Danielle Niddle. The John Steigerwall Show, AM 1250, The Answer. Well, fraternities and sororities have been uh, on college campuses uh, around the country for about 150 years or longer. Uh, It shouldn't surprise anybody that with the insanity surrounding gender issues in 2019 that the geniuses running our institutions of higher learning would have a problem with them. Harvard had a big problem and outlawed them a little while ago, a couple years ago, and some fraternities sued and won. At least they are on the, looks like they might be on the way to winning. Robert Shibley is the executive director of FIRE, the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education. He joins us now. Robert, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So what did the judge rule on the Harvard uh, case uh, uh, that that looks like a win for FIRE and the students? Well, the judge uh, in Boston, this is a federal judge, uh, ruled that uh, Harvard's motion to dismiss the case uh, was going to be rejected for a couple of different reasons. And um, I'll get into why that's important. But the, the reasons that it was rejected is they said that the, uh, the plaintiffs here, which were some fraternities, sororities, and uh, three John Doe plaintiffs, uh, who didn't want to reveal their identities to Harvard because they didn't want to be punished, um, had made out a, a case that a jury could uh, find that Harvard was indeed discriminating against them, both because of who they want to associate with, so violating uh, the freedom of expressive association, uh, and just plain gender discrimination because they were being told that uh, they were not allowed uh, to uh, be in groups uh, where they could uh, be only with people of the same sex. And it's interesting to see how that's worked out, even though Harvard uh, got rid of all of these groups, these uh, fraternities, sororities, um, and these final clubs, which are sort of a Harvard-specific kind of uh, organization. Uh, in the name of gender equality, what's turned out to happen is all of the all-female clubs are gone, and the all-male clubs, from what everybody can tell, are still there. So, yeah, I, I, we did this story a while ago, and there's also an issue at Yale. They tried to, some, something similar there, but um, why is it that the, the male, the, the fraternities survived and the sororities didn't? And, and um, when they said they had to go, did they, did they, I know that they threatened him with, you know, not being allowed to get scholarships and fellowships and being a captain of a sports team and all that stuff. Um, how, do, how do you just get rid of a, a, a sorority? Well, uh, fraternities and sororities at Harvard weren't actually uh, officially recognized organizations. So these would just be like if you and your friends got together uh, with some other students and joined a club um, that you met in your dorm room or you met maybe in somebody's house off campus. Uh, so Harvard realized they couldn't get rid of them the way that universities usually punish fraternities or sororities where they you know, put some kind of sanctions on them, say they can't come to football games or you yeah, know, whatever Yeah, for violations of some kind, yeah. Breaking exactly. the law. Instead, or, yeah. they Went after, they said they would go after the individuals with a McCarthyite blacklist, and I'm not exaggerating. If they, if you were found uh, to have been a member of a, uh, a fraternity or sorority or final club, uh, they would tell you that you uh, basically the dean would not give you any recommendations. You couldn't, uh, like you said, you couldn't be a leader in a uh, college group or a sports team. Um, so it really did uh, take away a lot of the opportunities for which people attend Harvard. I think the reason that the uh, male groups uh, still appear to be there, and of course, you know, now they're they're really having to run very underground so they don't get found out, um, is because they've been established for a lot longer. Until recently, Harvard didn't have fraternities and sororities. Um, they only had these final clubs, and they were all male. So uh, the all male final clubs, they have houses. Uh, you know, they have, you know, powerful alumni and that sort of thing. So they, they can keep going, but the women uh, didn't have that same infrastructure. And so when Harvard decided to go after the men, uh, it ended up boomeranging and hitting the women, uh, you know, more than the men. Yeah, and um, it's, it's, they're basically casting aspersions on anybody who is a, a rotten enough person to want to belong to an all-male or all-female organization. Like you, right. you don't, you're not, you are. Uh, we'd prefer that you just leave because we're not going to let you. Uh, we're going to try to 
prevent you from uh, participating in as many good things that we have here on the campus as possible to punish you for having the nerve to want to be in a fraternity. That's just unbelievable That's to right. me. That's right. That's right, and if you really want to talk nerve, uh, you know, what's sort of particularly galling is the uh, now former president uh, of Harvard, uh, a woman named Drew Gilpin Faust, uh, actually attended Bryn Mawr College, which is uh, still, even to this day, all female, and while this is going on, was on the board of trustees That's for Bryn Mawr College. <laughs> so she was not only attended a, a single-sex place, but was still, you know, working to support it and being on there. So, uh, you know, seeing the leadership at Harvard uh, go hard after these, you know, supposedly villainous and, and, and sort of throwbacky single-sex organizations uh, is, is really pretty rich. So, so this woman was there at the time that Harvard made the decision to go after these groups? Yeah, it was basically a decision, um, it, from what everybody can tell, it was a decision between her and uh, the dean of Harvard College, who's still there, uh, Rakesh Karana, um, who was sort of really driving uh, the bus for this. And the process Harvard used uh, to put this in place was so ridiculous that really you could only get away with it uh, at a place with, with very little or no accountability, like Harvard at one point, in order to see the, the report uh, that they were um, supposedly putting together uh, to to make the recommendation, you actually had to ask for permission, and then you had to view it in a locked room in the administration building after they'd made sure you couldn't make any copies, it didn't have your phone. I mean, it was like you were going into, uh, you know, a spy movie. I mean, it was that level of ridiculousness, and yet, you know, this is, this is the way it went uh, through the two years it took them to, to force this through. And um, and how much of a setback uh, is the ruling by the judge that uh, the the the, the uh, suit can go forward? How much of a setback is that for Harvard? Can Harvard still win this? Well, Harvard could still win this, but um, when it comes to cases that have to do uh, more with the principles of the law or the Constitution rather than uh, the actual facts of the case, and, th- and this is one of those cases, there, there isn't really a lot of disagreement over you know, what Harvard did or, or you know, why it did it. Um, a lot of the, the sort of legal action comes at these, you know, what is generally an earlier stage of, of litigation, in this case, the motion to dismiss. So Harvard's best chance in this case was probably to get the court to say, well, you know, there, there's no way that even with all of the allegations you've made, there's no way this could possibly be a winner, or maybe you don't have standing, which means you didn't have the right uh, to bring the case. Uh, against Harvard, and instead of doing that, the judge actually said, "Well, no, it looks like you know you have um, you know your allegations at least amount to something where you might be able to prove this." Um, what that means is Harvard, uh, you know, they may appeal uh, at this stage, they may wait, uh, but they're going to be uh, eventually, if this doesn't get you know shot down by a higher court, which which I think is unlikely, but you never know, um, is going to have to submit to discovery. They're going to have to start. Uh, turning over emails and all the ways they made their decisions. And like I said, the, the way they made this decision was really bizarre. So I, were I Harvard, I would not want that to happen. But, you know, I'm not Harvard. They have a lot of very uh, high-paid and, and expensive folks there and a lot of money. So, you know, anything can happen. They are, they are a, uh, an organization with a lot of power. And you know what's always amazing to me about this is that imagine the response that you would get um, if Harvard had, if it was the other way around, and there were lots of clubs on campus that were uh, b- members of both gender, both sexes, mm-hmm. uh, you know, male and female, and imagine if Harvard said, "Okay, listen, we don't like this idea. From now on, we want all male and all female clubs. You can't ha- you can't intermingle." What kind of response that would be? And the fact that people don't understand that if you can tell someone they can't have only men or only women, they could also be told that they have to have both men and women. I mean, they, can, they have right. to be only men or only women. That's right. And, you know, where, it, it, where it's really interesting to hear what the, the women who were affected by this, who were in the sororities, had to say, because a lot of the reason they had started sororities is they felt like, uh, you know, the, the male final clubs and fraternities were more established, and they wanted specifically to have places where they could just be around other women. It's actually, it, basically, they were saying the same thing that, that men say often uh, when they're talking about why they uh, value their time in fraternities. And uh, yet, in order to get at this 
uh, you know, supposedly, you know, mustache twirling villains of the of the the evil frat boy <laughs> yeah. at Harvard. Um, you know, it became clear to Harvard they, you know, they were going to have to break some eggs to make this omelet, and you know, it, that's exactly what they did. And and it's it's sort of amazing uh, the level t- with which they were willing to go um, in order to accomplish this this feat of social engineering, which frankly is doomed from the start. Uh, telling people who they can and can't associate with has a terrible record in the United States. Uh, back in the 1920s, Harvard actually did the very same thing uh, to students who uh, they thought might be gay or who even associated with people they thought might be gay. Harvard went after them. Um, and then, of course, in the, in the 50s and 60s, we had McCarthyism, some of which took place at Harvard. And now we're having another moral panic kind of situation. And we're, doing, we're making the same mistakes over and over again. And it really is unbecoming of you know, one of America's and the world's really great universities. We're talking to Robert Shibley. He's the executive director of FIRE. That's the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education. Um, so uh, what other things are you guys involved in there at FIRE? That, uh, the, the, what are the hot things going on right now? Well, there's, uh, we recently uh, finished, um, we recently announced uh, that a professor at a university called the New School in New York um, was not going to be punished. She had been charged with uh, harassment um, because she, in quoting African-American author James Baldwin, um, had used the N-word. Um, while reading from his own quotes. This is something that he used. <laughs> he's he's, and, he's uh, using the book it, in class and reads from it? Uh, yeah, actually yeah. they were discussing why a, uh, a documentary made about him didn't use the word. So it really okay. could not have been more relevant. Right, Somebody right. complained, and uh, you know, lo and behold, she finds herself in front of the dean trying to defend herself from using an African-American author's own words in discussing the author. This is the kind of sort of madness... Uh, that we're seeing uh, on university campuses right now because of the, uh, you know, demands to sort of um, enforce this, this sort of stifling intellectual, like nobody, nobody say anything that could offend trigger. anyone, even if it's meaningful. Triggers. You know? yeah. It was a trigger. Yeah, that's right. Um, so I, I wanted, before you go, uh, we have a couple minutes here. I, I wanted to ask you about Yale. I don't know if you guys were involved in Yale. My favorite but my favorite story about that was that um, I, I don't have it in front of me here, but I think what happened was some some uh, college women went to a fraternity party and they didn't like the way they were treated and the kids were dr- the guys were drunk. Imagine that at a fraternity party, and uh, they they hated the way they were treated and they may complain. But what they wanted to do was be allowed to join <laughs> after after <laughs> they complained about what a terrible scene it was there. They sued so that they'd be allowed to join the fraternity. Did you know about that? I, I don't know about that. That's not something that FIRE was uh, yeah. involved in. But, you know, it's interesting. Title IX, which is the law we hear a lot about in this area, um, and that uh, bans sex discrimination in federally funded education programs, actually has an exception specifically for fraternities and sororities, because uh, when they wrote the law, they, they understood that these organizations uh, were important. Uh, to the people who were in them. And uh, so, you know, I, I don't know how, how that lawsuit might have come out, um, but it, it's certainly something that the law itself uh, takes into account. I, I know that I was never in a fraternity, but I know a lot of people who were in them really valued their time. And, of course, you know, I understand that people uh, feel like they, uh, you know, have been treated poorly uh, by people in fraternities. But part of being a civil libertarian and, frankly, being an American is, you know, not just assuming that since you know somebody uh, who you think is like another person, that person is like it, too. I mean, that's smearing <laughs> by association, and right. we're supposed to be democratic citizens who are a little more sophisticated than that. Yeah, and uh, so what do you think is the future of uh, fraternities and sororities on college campuses now? Do you see, is, is this a, a trend? Will they try to get rid of them, or will this might maybe put a stop to that? I think it is a trend where they're going to try to get rid of them. Uh, one of the reasons that FIRE fought so hard against what Harvard was doing is because many colleges uh, think that to be a good college, you just need to copy Harvard. And so uh-huh. people like to mimic what they do. Um, so I do think that it will be uh, very beneficial for people's freedom of association if Harvard ends up not being able uh, to pull this off. I think fraternity and sororities are under a lot more threat um, these days than they used to be. I think there's a lot of stereotypes 
um, about fraternities and sororities that people are, you know, happy to just repeat without really thinking about them. Um, when, you know, different groups of people and different individuals are different, um, you know, and, and we recognize that in other areas. So I, you know, I often counsel fraternities and sororities, you know, don't just take unfair punishments lying down. Um, and I think we're starting to see fraternities and sororities be more resistant to that. But uh, it's been uh, it's been sort of a long struggle to get them to realize that, you know what, uh, if we don't all hang together, we're all going to hang separately on this mm-hmm. one. Right. Hey, Robert, I'm out of time. I appreciate you being here. Robert Shibley, executive director of FIRE Foundation for Individual Rights and in Education. Now, I think you won one at Harvard. Congratulations on the win. I hope you keep winning. Thanks. Thanks very much. Bye bye. Hey, all right. We'll be right back. Get out the old coat and come to win the captain stigma on it And we'll all have another gig of beer For it's not for knowledge that we came to college But we raised hell while we're here We're talking to Rocky Blyer. He's involved with the Miracle League of Moon Township and the construction of a Miracle League athletic field. The fields are designed to make it possible for kids with special needs to play sports. Every child, no matter what the situation, deserves a chance to be able to play, to compete, and have a place that's safe, takes care of needs, that's organized. This will be the fourth Miracle League field that will be built. Now we've got four places to be able to travel, so it broadens the whole interest of sports. It's just terrific for a community to do that. There's a buddy system I thought was pretty impressive. What's that all about? Kids with special needs have a buddy. A a child who's in school. It's like having an older brother or sister involved with you. So it's really good in that everybody has human dignity of being able to participate. The website is miraclesinmoon.org. Check it out and let's help make this dream a reality. Hey, Rocky, thanks. And uh, we'll be talking to you again about this project. Appreciate you coming on to talk about it. Thank you for having me. All right, man. Take it it. easy. Rocky Blyer. Imagine doing one thing that gives you an entirely different perspective about your place in the world? Think it would be worth it? Dennis Prager here inviting you to join me for a 10-day Stand with Israel tour, a tour through the land of Israel in December 2019. Come with me to get first-hand insight into Israel's fascinating past and promising future. Walk the ancient temple steps, sail on the Sea of Galilee, and so many more unforgettable moments. Return home inspired, renewed, and empowered. If you've ever dreamed of seeing Israel, this is your opportunity with expert guides and important lectures at key sites. We'll be together in the comfort and safety of luxurious accommodations the whole time. Join me for a life-changing adventure to give you a renewed sense of purpose. Get more details about the trip or sign up now to join Mike Gallagher and Dennis Prager on the Stand with Israel tour by going to theanswerpgh.com slash Israel. That's theanswerpgh.com slash Israel. It is a horrible scenario, but it happens. Dennis writes about his wife. She was diagnosed with leukemia. In fact, she's a two-time survivor. And in the midst of all that, they ran up over a million dollars in medical bills. Thankfully, they're MediShare members. And Dennis says they are so thankful for that, how others came together to meet their needs. And that's how so many MediShare members feel. This is not health insurance. It's different. You don't have to pay for things you don't believe in. And like Dennis found out, it just works. So if you join MediShare, not only do you save a lot of money, the typical family saves about 500 bucks a month, but you know where your money's going each month. You're helping people. And if the time should come, they'll be helping and even praying for you. So yes, it's different. And as more than 400,000 people now know when it comes to healthcare costs, different is beautiful. Find out more. Call 844-45-BIBLE. That's 844-45-BIBLE. 844-45-BIBLE. Warning. Property protected by electric fence. Sharks sighted in water. Warnings are truly handy. Bridge out. But you may not always get a warning when it comes to threats to your identity or the personal information on your devices. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection includes Norton Security for even more protection. LifeLock uses proprietary technology to help detect identity threats, like your personal info for sale on the dark web. And Norton Security protects up to five devices from ransomware and other online threats. Plus, if you have a problem, our agents will work to fix it. Of course, no one can prevent all identity theft or cybercrime or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but having someone looking out for you... Warning, minefield ahead. ...will help keep you out of danger. Join now and get 10% off your first year. Go to lifelock.com and enter promo code TITTLE. That's promo code TITTLE for 10% off. Lifelock with Norton. More detection more protection. Warning, listening to this program may expose you to toxic masculinity. The John Steigerwald Show. 
on AM 1250. The answer. I got a couple minutes left here. I want to mention about Elon Omar. She's doing a nice job uh, as a uh, congresswoman from Minnesota. She's part of the squad, and you, I'm sure you know all about her. Um, she, uh, uh, there's a, there's a, I don't know if it's been, she, she's, I don't, she hasn't admitted to it yet. I don't know if she's been actually uh, found, uh, it's for certain that she married her brother, but there's a pretty good chance she did. Uh, which is, you know, as a way to to get him or both of them uh, into the country legally. Not her. She's already here. But get, to get him here. And then she did something else that uh, was might have been a little bit crooked to get some um, a college loan or two. Uh, we don't know. I'm not really sure what her actual name is. Uh, other than that, she's doing a pretty nice job. But uh, then there's this. Um, the <laughs> she The most recent thing is... That a uh, a woman, Doctor Beth uh, Minette, says that her husband Tim told her in April that he was having an affair with uh, Omar, and that he even made a quote shocking declaration of love for her before he ditched his wife. That's uh, uh, according to a filing submitted in D.C. Superior Court. The doctor's fifty-five, and her husband's thirty-eight. And this is the guy who's cheating with Omar. He was looking for something a little younger, apparently. So that's one part of it. Then this side just came across. Uh, Omar's campaign, according to the Daily Caller, funded travel for the man she's alleged to have had an affair with, according to records. Uh, as d- it says here, has dispersed tens of thousands of dollars in, quote, travel expenses to the company owned by the political strategist whose wife accused him, yes, today, of having an affair with Omar. Federal Election Commission uh, records reveal the Omar campaign began making travel reimbursements to Tim Minette's company, E Street Group LLC, on April 1st, about a week before Dr. Beth Minette said her husband admitted to her having an affair with Omar. Now, my one question that I only have here, I don't, I, you know, she's having an affair, I really don't care, but... Um, I'm just wondering what just what would the reaction be if this were a Republican and not the face of the Democrat Party and a hero of the media. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays on CNN, MSNBC, ABC, CBS, NBC, PBS, New York Times, and Washington Post. I got a feeling it's going to be kind of you know pushed under the rug a little bit. We'll see. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye. The John Steigerwall Show is a production of AM 1250, The Answer, and Salem Media Group.